Hello and welcome to Podcast by Brodies. My name is Margaret Taylor and in this series we discuss resilience. Whether in a business or individual context, resilience means different things to different people. We'll examine what it means in general terms, in the context of COVID-19 and for the future. We'll discuss hot topics, trends and lessons learned with legal experts and special guests. In this episode, Jackie Patterson of executive search experts Livingston James and Brodie's immigration partner Elaine McElroy join me to discuss whether employers are ready for the changes that have been brought about by post-Brexit changes to freedom of movement. As the new relationship between the UK and the EU beds in, we'll take a look at some of the trends that are emerging in terms of employers recruiting migrant workers, how employers are getting to grips with the challenges, and we will explore some of the benefits of the new points-based system rule changes. Elaine, could you start by giving us a broad overview of the changes to the freedom of movement rules? Yeah, sure. So freedom of movement came to an end um, on the 31st of December last year when the Brexit transition period ended. And up until then, I guess UK and European employers could send staff uh, to the UK to work or to the rest of Europe without having to worry about work permits or visas. Everybody had the right to live, work and study all over Europe. Mm. Um, and that was a really easy process from a business's perspective because there were no fees associated with uh, obtaining work permits, etc. There was no planning needed. And there was one single set of rules that everybody was familiar with. Everybody knew that you could go anywhere in Europe and live and work without sort of having to worry about mm-hmm. anything. And that's the thing that's changed significantly. So for UK-based businesses now wanting to bring Europeans to the UK to work, they're going to have to obtain some sort of visa or work permit. And that's kind of brand new. Um, And the second part that's changed for businesses is, I guess, in relation to business travel. So Mm -hmm. if UK-based businesses are having to send people to Europe for business trips instead of of assuming that you can send people for as long as you like and they can do whatever they want to do when they get there, employers are now having to explore what rules apply, uh, say, for example, in Italy as compared to Spain, um, etc. So so we've got a whole raft of new rules to kind of uh, get used to. So that's interesting that you mentioned Italy and Spain. If someone was travelling from the UK, would would they then, when they were within Europe, have to have different considerations if they were moving across Europe? Yes, that's right. So whereas before we had a single set of rules applicable to everybody and you could do whatever you wanted, whether that's a a business trip or or work-related activities, Mm. uh, we've now got different regulatory sort of regimes or immigration regimes in different countries. Um, When the trade agreement was agreed just before Christmas, they did agree some reciprocal provisions about business visits across Mm -hmm. Europe, but there are country-by-country kind of specific derogations to that. So, for example, uh, in one country, they might have said, we'll allow our business visitors from the UK to do certain activities, and another country might have agreed certain exceptions to that. Mm -hmm. So, that makes it much more difficult for employers if they're having to get advice locally from, say, French lawyers or Italian lawyers or whatever to send people on business trips. And that's all new and uh, didn't need to be kind of worried about before when you all had a European passport and could uh, do do whatever you wanted on a business trip. Mm-hmm. Now, Jackie, what, what's been the impact from your point of view? You, you're a recruiter, obviously based here. Uh, what, what impact has that had on the clients that you work for and the way that you conduct searches for them? Well, well so far, because it's quite early days, we're sort of three months into the process. 
we have started to notice some challenges, I think, for, for in different sectors and in different sizes of business in the, in the way it's obviously, and, and it also is very dependent on the infrastructure of the business. Yeah. Um, so if we take the drinks industry, for example, they, re, they rely heavily on a, a, you know, a high volume of EU workers to, to work maybe on the sort of blue collar area mm-hmm. or production lines. And, um, and, and that for now is OK um, up until June. Although obviously the turnover in these areas is is very high, so you know that's actually been a, you know a huge well it's a huge problem for them going forward, and I think it's something that is probably setting a little bit of panic in for this you know a, a small business because mm-hmm. then the affordability factor of bringing these people in and the cost of sponsorship and then the cost of the the certificates the um, the work certificates that they then need to be granted and then and obviously there's a volume there as well. So if these people are turning over. That, that causes a problem. However, what hasn't really changed is probably more in the larger businesses, maybe more of the corporates, maybe some of the, again, if we'll take the drinks business as an example, some of the clients that we're working at the moment have got a very, very good infrastructure. They have in-house legal teams. They have um, you know very, very robust HR teams, mm-hmm. very used to bringing people over for specialisms and, 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 and for the visa application process in some ways has been made easier for them because there's more transparency and, and obviously there's the budget to be able to bring that headcount in. So consideration mm-hmm. for them, actually, you know, the indication is that they, they're they're not largely impacted, whereas smaller businesses, I think that's going to be trickier. And there has been some chat about, you know, looking at organic growth. But again, that's mm-hmm. still impact at, um, you know, the, the blue collar level, because you can't organically grow people that are, are turning over at that, you know, rate so for us, because we pra- we're working in the executive search practice, mm-hmm. we look more at a search, te- you know, provision for clients. That we modify that process at the start and just make sure that the budgets and the considerations are given as to what that will look like. Um, you know, depending on the appointment they're looking to make. So uh, we do get some hesitation if we're looking overseas now and we're asked an awful lot of questions and being asked for advice and you know as to how that might look and what what the future holds so um at the moment some small changes and going forward i see the impact you know probably quite considerably so on the smaller businesses after the summer Mm. has covid had an impact at all and obviously (laughs) freedom of movement has has been kind of halted anyway because of that but are, are people still able to hire from overseas and bring people over or are they hiring and people are working from home from where they've been hired? No, they're still bringing people in from overseas. Okay. Absolutely. Um, that hasn't stopped. Um, there are specific skill sets that the UK can't accommodate. That, yeah. So we have to have a look at, uh, you know, probably particularly in the pharma world as well, there, there's going to be, you know, a niche set of individuals that you, you need to look overseas for. Um, and again, the bigger companies are able to facilitate that. COVID opened up a few challenges, I think, with people then all deciding they wanted to work remotely. Yeah. But some of the experiences we've had with clients, they've, they've had to explore all the, as, you know, as Elaine was saying, the, the local restrictions um, and having them contracted to a local office. So some some challenges, um, but some good things on the back of COVID and certainly remote working was one of them. Elaine, from a wider client perspective, is what Jackie's described, what, is what you're experiencing in the farm as well? Yeah, so... Um, I guess we've seen a lot of some of the sort of points that Jackie mentioned. So different employers impacted in different ways by the new immigration rules. And I agree those uh, businesses that have relied a lot on European workers 
um, because the European workers who were already in the UK before the end of the transition period could stay, the impact of that's not been felt maybe immediately, but as and when those people sort of leave and, and the employer looks to sort of rec recruit replacements, uh, that's when they'll notice, I guess, the change in the work permit rules yeah. and the fact that for lower skilled jobs, especially, um, there isn't the option to sponsor them. Uh, the sponsorship regime is just for sort of medium and highly skilled jobs. So replacing that flow of sort of European workers is, is a challenge that will become more and more evident as kind of time goes on. Um, in relation to the impact of COVID on kind of international recruitment and whether employers are still sponsoring people, yes, they are in particular areas, especially where there are kind of skills gaps and businesses that still need to kind of uh, recruit people for particular roles. I think overall there was a bit of a kind of dampening on recruitment because um, the Home Office sort of produced statistics and how many visa applications etc there were and over the course of 2020 there was a drop in about 35% of work permits etc. So overall there was a bit of a drop but in particular sectors some employers were still going ahead and and recruiting. I think what we've seen recently, though, is in terms of say business travel, etc., that sort of yeah dampened a bit, um, and it's it's not been at the same levels as it was before. So I think some of uh, when the COVID restrictions lessen, we'll see more problems arising. I guess with employers wanting to send people around a bit more. Yeah. Uh, in the same way as they used to do before COVID. Mm -hmm. Now, you've both mentioned sponsorship. Elaine, could you talk us through what that means and how that works in practice? Yeah, so I guess with effect from the 1st of January, after the transition period ended, we've got a new points-based system in the mm -hmm. UK. Um, that's significant reforms to the old rules about who could be sponsored and who couldn't. And there's actually lots of good news in there in terms of these changes because Whereas before a job had to be highly skilled in order to be eligible for sponsorship, mm -hmm. they've opened up that to medium skilled and highly skilled jobs, which has approximately sort of doubled the numbers of roles which are now suitable for sponsorship. So although we've had the end of freedom of movement and those restrictions, we've now got a new a new regime, which is, uh, I guess, more open to employers than it was before. Mm -hmm. And some other changes that have been introduced are uh, there used to be what was called a resident labour market test in place, which meant employers had to show they couldn't find a resident worker able to do the job if they wanted to then sponsor a migrant worker. That test has now fallen away, mm -hmm. which has made uh, it much easier and quicker, etc., and more certain from the perspective of the employer if they want to sponsor a, an international worker to to do a job. So there's been lots of kind of good news in terms of the new rules, but at the same time, it's still more costly and um, and complicated, I suppose, than was the case under freedom of movement. So the fact that Europeans are having to comply with these rules if they're coming to the UK for the first time from the, the 1st of January, um, that's not quite as easy as it was under under freedom of movement. Mm -hmm. now, Jackie, you mentioned some of the issues some employers are having with, for example, bl blue collar workers, would they fall within the sponsorship regime? Um, well, probably relating back to what Elaine was saying is that, you know, they're under that that skill base. They're usually uh -huh. under that, that salary side of things. So, yeah, I think that that will be problematic. And, well, without a doubt, it'll be problematic for the two reasons that, that they, these people tend to be seasonal workers as well. Mm -hmm. So that then the cost associated to bring somebody in on a, a seasonal basis for for most employers, and especially if they're you know small in scale, um, it's not going to be 
So, so they could still bring them in, but it would just be very expensive and, and presumably cost prohibitive. This is the part I think where they would probably need to take the advice because they're, you know, they're falling below that that the automatic sponsorship scale gap. Yeah, and I think ultimately it comes down to how much they earn and yeah. whether they are in that kind of low skilled threshold yeah. or not. Um, if they're too low skilled and too low paid, they won't be eligible for sponsorship at all. Yeah. Um, there are some temporary visa routes for working holidaymakers and things, but um, but those are quite limited. Mm-hmm. So some employers will have a kind of gap there if they just mm-hmm. simply can't sponsor at all. But for maybe the ha- the sort of more highly paid jobs, etc., then the visa cost sometimes does come into it if they can't afford, I guess, the visa fees and other charges that kind of go along with with sponsoring people. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess it's probably still kind of early days to to see what what the full impact of that is going to be. But Jackie, what what kind of issues do you think it will create for clients if if they can't if they can't bring people in because of this? Like, what what are they? What kind of solutions are they looking at? Well, well, I think you know there have been some quite innovative solutions coming from some of the organisations that we're speaking with, and we're certainly helping and providing advice and connections. Um, to some of the universities, colleges and schools to try and look at, you know, entry level opportunities for, for say, perhaps people who don't want to go into further education to, to cover the gaps with the, the low skilled roles. But, and not so much that there are actually, you know, there are students who want to leave school early and actually see that as a, a foothold if they want to get into a good company and they work their way up. So it's how that position is promoted. And I think the probably stigma needs to be removed that this is a, you know, well, we've described it as a blue collar or a low skilled opportunity, but actually it's a footstep into maybe a really good business. And then, you know, if they if, if they are able to put the infrastructure in place to, to make sure that people are supported to grow in their careers, then that's actually a viable opportunity organically from a local market. Mm-hmm. So uh, employers are recognising that they are going to have some very significant skill gaps, but I, I think they are looking at all of the different ways they can utilise their, their local population of people mm-hmm. to try working I mean we're looking at we're looking at the retail industry you know in a bit of a crisis just now so there are a number of you know very capable individuals coming out of that where everything's going online that could actually you know that they're capitalizing that and sort of trying to move that skill set over so yeah I I think businesses are aware they need to move and and there are other businesses we've spoken to have you know more of the kind of sort of ostrich approach where they're they're like they've got into panic mode and they're not looking at it's right there on the doorstep so mm-hmm. but yeah I think I think it'll be really interesting come the summer as to you know how things pan out. So do you think we might start to see some quite innovative recruitment drives? Definitely and there's there's consultancies as well that are actually going out there at the moment and, and bringing together talent pools mm-hmm. at different skill levels so almost like a, a you know a babysitter team of consultants that they can then put out into businesses mm-hmm. you know batches of like 10, 15, 20 individuals who are sitting on a bench waiting to be called up so yeah, I definitely think we'll always find a way around things that you know this change actually brings lots of opportunity, and I think it's forcing businesses to think about skill gaps that probably would have happened for another reason. So Elaine, we've touched on some of the benefits. What what do you think the main? Well, we've also touched on the drawbacks as well. But what 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 other drawbacks are there to the new system? It's obviously not the same as it was. It's not as easy for freedom of movement and for people to hire. What other issues are there that, that employers are going to face? So I suppose the main drawbacks are um, so having to comply with the new points-based system for smaller businesses okay. in particular, getting their heads around what the new rules are. And that is difficult for SMEs, etc. It's oh. easier, as uh, Jackie said, for 
big corporates that have got HR teams and advice to kind of call upon. Um, so there's the additional planning, additional cost, etc. involved. But the main upside is that they have sort of streamlined and simplified the rules as as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And actually, another kind of good news story is, uh, I guess, they've, they're introducing a new graduate route visa, which is kind of post-study work visa, which is coming into place in July. We used to have one of those that was then closed down for a few years, and that's coming uh, back on stream. So for international graduates studying in the UK, they will be able to stay and look for work for either two, two years or three years after their studies. Okay. And that might be an additional sort of talent pool for some of those employers that uh, Jackie was maybe talking about. Uh, what was happening at the end of those two years? They then need to get sponsored at that point right. but I guess they've got that kind of breathing space sure. to go out and do any any job whether they're yeah. low skilled or high skilled. And I guess make the contacts <laughs> that would be required. To make the contacts and, and find themselves yeah a job before that kind of visa runs out but um, lots of employers are, are quite pleased about that especially if they've got shortages of say language skills etc and you've got that pool of of, of talent there. Yeah, yes, there's lots of drawbacks, and I think that, that you know, as sort of highlighted before, yes, it, it's it's with the change of what's happened, and it's mm. you know seismic change that we're going through just now. But there there does appear to be some very you know some very positive um, parts of the process, which actually some employers are at, you know delighted that they actually have this now. Mm -hmm. And I think you know when we're put under pressure and, and when there's a test of trying to, to bring in talent, there's that that's when it, that actually forces people to to use their you know the innovation side of things to look at trying to tap into new circles and this graduate scheme is is going to be perfect for a number of different organisations. We just have to adapt, and I do think it will be very different and a bit of a struggle probably for the next sort of twelve to eighteen months. Mm -hmm. I think we've surprised ourselves during lockdown and COVID and what we can achieve. So the talent pool is on the radar for most. But and their approach is people will start to successfully bring in new talent pools and then those who watch that happen will follow suit. So some you know, people will start to set standards and platforms of how to go about doing that and then other businesses will, will start mirroring in order to get the, the best people on board. And and th this is this is a, a red tape issue, but we'll get round it and we still we'll still bring people into businesses. And I think a point Jackie made earlier about remote working, um and not just remote working anywhere across the UK. I guess we've got people sort of spreading out all across the UK from instead of living in the city where their job, you know, was before. But we've, we're also seeing lots of employers having employees kind of spread out internationally who want to do a job from their home in Italy, for example, mm -hmm. for a UK based employer. So um, I think we'll see a lot more of that in the future. Employers and employees as well have, have, have got a lot to get used to. But are there, are there sanctions for getting it wrong? And how, how would that work? Well, I guess you can only sponsor people who are kind of eligible for sponsorship. Mm -hmm. So if you did, for example, sponsor somebody in a low skilled job and, and it wasn't suitable, yes, there are sanctions, I guess, for that individual and for the business. Mm -hmm. um, and it can be sort of criminal implications if you employ somebody who doesn't have permission to work so okay. um or or who isn't suitable for a visa so yeah so it is important that the employers know the rules yeah. and that's a big bit that's a big sort of issue for employers okay. they don't want to get it wrong the rules can be quite complicated there's probably like two to three hundred pages of guidance right. on the home office website <laughs> about what all the rules are about what you have to pay and and all the rest of it so that's the bit that can be quite um daunting if a business hasn't accessed the, or used the sponsorship sort of system before. Is it, is it putting is it putting any employers off at all? Do you think? I, I guess that's a question for both of you. 
Yes, I think so. I think small businesses would prefer not to have to go there and not not to have to use the system. And they have to also have a sponsor license. They have to apply to the Home Office to be recognised as an employer that's kind of able to sponsor people. So, yes, I think that is is a barrier. Um, It's maybe not quite as scary as some people think it is. But if you've never done it before, then then that can be a blocker. And Jackie, are you finding any of your clients are just being super cautious and, and, and turning away from it? Yeah, I mean, I think when people haven't, if they haven't had any um, legal advice or they if they haven't had experience of the, this before, um, yeah, there there is the automatic. They don't want to go there. They want to look at a UK pool of candidates first. That you know, the, the overseas discussion isn't even a discussion. So it's not something they want to invite into the process because it feels like something that is, is sort of jaggy and it's unknown territory. So yeah, we we would deal with a you know we we'll deal with a section of clients who who are still you know probably quite uncomfortable with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Elaine, we touched on business travel a bit at the start and uh, there obviously hasn't been uh, any or much of that going on at all. What, what will employers have to think about as we start emerging from the COVID situation and they can start sending their staff a- across Europe? We mentioned that there are different rules in different countries. What what kind of steps will they have to take to ensure they're they're complying with all these rules? So in many cases, that would involve taking local legal mm-hmm. advice and, and lots of businesses coming to us are saying, like, how can I figure out what people can and can't do in all these different jurisdictions? Mm-hmm. And sometimes the answer is going to get legal advice in all of those different <laughs> jurisdictions. There's there's not like one person that you can necessarily go to who'll give you all the answers. And so do you have a network of, of firms that you can pass them on to? Yes, we do. We've got, we do have sort of contacts Mm -hmm. in in sort of each jurisdiction, but I guess even having to go and and pay for that legal advice isn't ideal. That is sometimes thinking about what activities the people are going to do, tracking the amount of time they're spending overseas. um, And yeah, just not having that kind of freedom to go and jump in a plane at a moment's notice and and Mm -hmm. sort of arrive without even having to, to worry about it. So there's that kind of compliance piece to it and and planning and thinking ahead and at the moment I guess we've got layers of complexity on top of that because of COVID yeah. <laughs> so people coming to Scotland for example have got different rules than going to England there's quarantine yeah. there's testing yeah. there's restrictions on what you can do when you're here um, and we're guiding some clients I mean not everybody stopped traveling some people still need to so we're kind of guiding clients through what those restrictions are so that's um been a sort of extra added element from COVID that we didn't used to have to deal with. And what because we keep hearing the rules on COVID are essential travel is is allowed. How how is that defined in the business context? Uh, so there are job specific kind of exceptions mm-hmm. from from the sort of travel restrictions in some cases. Um, there are some individuals who can come to the UK and they can go to do essential parts of their work, um, but they, they have to quarantine otherwise. But the rules are, I would say, super complicated in terms of who has to do hotel quarantine, who yeah. can quarantine at home, what it's, there's a test release system in England that doesn't apply in Scotland, etc. So kind of navigating through all of those uh, sort of complexities are, are quite challenging yeah. for businesses. Yeah. Um, just another point on travelling to and within Europe, are are visas required at all now? So visas are not required for, I guess, British nationals going to Europe and European mm-hmm. nationals coming to the UK, um, provided that it's a uh, short term and the person is carrying on only sort of legitimate business activities. Right. 
the UK allows individuals to come for up to six months. Mm -hmm. For UK nationals going to Europe, it's usually up to 90 days. But what's important is what you do when you're there. So the time periods, I guess it means it's important to track how much time you're Mm -hmm. spending. Is that 90 days in total or is that 90 days per country within Europe? 90 days within the sort of Schengen countries, which is a particular sort of group Mm -hmm. of countries um, within a 180 day period. And there's different time periods for certain countries that sit outside of of Schengen. Okay, so basically read all the rules before planning a trip. (laughs) Yeah, 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 it's it's, um, complicated. It's it's not as easy as it used to be. And you have to sort of track your your periods of time that you're spending in Europe. And again, if anyone overstayed even by a day, would there be sanctions? Yes, there are. There are. Yeah. So important to comply. And especially when you're going, I guess it's not just for personal purposes. There is a business element as well. So for reputational purposes and things, businesses want to make sure they're complying. Sure. sure. Um, I I guess finally, we've discussed COVID and the impact that's had. How, How do you think... Things will play out uh, as we start emerging and what, what the wider impact of that might be. Sure. So COVID, I think as the restrictions lessen, uh, we'll see more business travel generally. We'll also see, I think, a kind of uptick in some recruitment plans that have been put on hold a bit. So we've still seen some recruitment, etc. happening, but I think there'll be an uptick on that. That will also be dependent to an extent on economic recovery. So I guess Certain sectors have done well out of COVID, others others less so. so. But I think overall, if there is economic recovery that comes with the lessening of restrictions, I would have thought an uptick in recruitment, more international uh, recruitment happening kind of into the UK and, and elsewhere, um, hopefully, as yeah things return to normal. And Jackie, do you have a similar view? Yeah, I would, I would mirror that. Actually, it's, it's quite an insightful view because it reflects probably on, on what we're seeing in terms of our pipeline and our proposals with some of the clients that we're dealing with and certainly where they need to actually interact or, or, or appoint from overseas dependent on that skill set. Um, we have a pipeline of of um, vacancies that are now, you know, they're, they're ready to be signed off. but. Mm-hmm. The restrictions, you know, the restrictions are as such where people want to see what's going to happen before they make any commitment. Yeah. But that, that hasn't taken away the requirement and it hasn't taken away the fact that they'll not find that skill set in the UK. Mm-hmm. So I, I do believe that these appointments will go ahead. And I, do, I just think it will be a different approach and, and we need to facilitate that in the best possible manner that we can. And having the advice of, you know, obviously, but, you know, having these conversations with Brodies and, and, and other legal firms who know exactly what they're talking about is it, it, is how people will survive and how they will actually be able to facilitate these, um, you know, these pieces of critical appointments that, that can't go on hold for much longer. Yeah. And do you think candidates will still be willing to come or is there a, a fear because of the pandemic or are people just ready to get going as soon as they can? I think they're still ready to come. I mean, we, we, I mean we've got a process as well with, a, with a, um, a global drinks company just now and we're actually taking someone from Brazil and putting them in, in, in Spain. Okay. So, this process is on hold just now. The offer is made, but the, the final concluding contractual part of that is on hold until we know what's happening. And um, it hasn't it hasn't had any impact on the candidate. It hasn't had any impact on the client. There is a, a verbal commitment there, um, and and that seems to be reflective of most of the processes we're involved with. But I do think you know, I think like everything else, as a, I don't want to repeat myself, but I do think that we we need to find a, a workaround. Um, yeah. We do need to appoint this type of talent so you know whether it be from 
organically grown for some of the smaller businesses and and we still look to overseas to bring you know talent to to the uk then it, it will happen and just by a different way you have been listening to podcast by brodies where some of the country's leading lawyers and special guests share their enlightened thinking about the issues and developments impacting the legal sector and what those mean for organisations, businesses and individuals across the various sectors of the UK. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe to Podcast by Brodies on all the main platforms. For more information and insights, visit www.brodies.com.